there's flavor combinations that if you know me, you know that I'm like, it's like Rain Man stuck in my head, like Campari and pineapple, like, you know, it's <laughs> absinthe and strawberry. Like I, there's things that go together and grapefruit and cinnamon is one of those. So I knew I wanted that to be kind of the central um, building block for Rocket Queen. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Decoding Cocktails podcast. I'm your host, Chris LeBeau. At the ripe age of 38, I left my former career behind and joined the hospitality industry. Since then, I've been on a rapid journey of learning, meeting all sorts of great people, and this, this podcast, is my chance to bring you along with me. Whether I'm interviewing somebody that works in the industry, another enthusiast, or occasionally stepping back to share what I'm working on or my thoughts. I'm so glad you're here. And so with that aside, let's get into today's episode. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Decoding Cocktails. Before we get into today's episode, just a quick note. So today's episode is brought to you by uh, a handful of my monthly patrons, uh, people like Leanne, Kristen, and Nancy. So what are they getting in exchange for this membership? Uh, and my membership that I'm going to talk about, you can find at patreon.com slash decoding cocktails. So what you can find on something like this is uh, monthly access to monthly virtual classes. So we just wrapped up a monthly class on uh, Japanese cocktails with Kira Webster of Indo, which was a lot of fun. And as we look at fall, I'm really interested in the idea of things like Halloween-based drinks, more on that in just a minute, as well as things like preparing for annual family gatherings like Thanksgiving, uh, the holidays, and of course, just taking advantage of the fall harvest and how to best turn your drinks into those that feel so appropriate for colder weather. Uh, in addition to that, things like monthly tours of the liquor store, uh, etc. So look that up, patreon.com slash decodingcocktails. My guests today, plural, are Aaron Hayes and Kelsey Ramage. Uh, they are the co-founders of Black Lagoon, an immersive experience that leans into uh, goth culture and cult horror with innovative and spooky cocktails. It was named Canada's Best Pop-Up Bar by Canada's 100 Best in 2021, and this October, they're going to be popping up in nine cities across the U.S. and Canada. It turns out that this was actually something that came to be just before COVID. Uh, at, while they were at Tales of the Cocktail, uh, Kelsey and Aaron uh, threw a pop-up at the Dungeon, uh, a venue in New Orleans I'd, I'm not familiar with, but I'm going to have to check out when I go back next year. And uh, they said they had so much fun doing this uh, Halloween-themed pop-up that they were like, how do we keep this going? And so this year, they've hit scale-up mode. Uh Aaron lives in Los Angeles and works as the beverage director at the Fairmont Century Plaza Hotel. Prior to this, she spent eight years with Westward Whiskey, serving as their VP of Trade and Advocacy. Other highlights include serving as the head bartender at Three Dots and a Dash in Chicago uh, and uh, the opening bar manager at Lost Lake, which was named in Bive Magazine's Bar of the Year. So both uh, two prominent uh, tiki bars in Chicago. Kelsey has over 15 years' experience in hospitality. She is the driving force behind uh, the Service Trash Collective, which is always evolving, but really started at the, the head of, as cocktails were really reaching their arc, 
food had already begun talking about things like, if you will, nose-to-tail dining. How do we use the whole animal to be less wasteful? And in this vein, Kelsey and other people were really thinking a lot about things like citrus. Uh, how do we reduce our use of it uh, and or eliminate it entirely, obviously? And so one of the things that you can find on their website, look them up at Trash Collective, is a way to kind of make what's called a citrus stock. Or, for example, if you've juiced a pineapple and you have leftover pulp, how you can turn that pulp into something that can be used as well. So ways to kind of extend the life of things that are um, uh, not so sustainable in terms of that, hey, if I'm here in St. Louis, bringing pineapple in isn't exactly the most sustainable act. Uh, Kelsey is also behind something called Dolly Trolley Drinks, a drink delivery service that, of course, boomed during COVID. And she's worked at award-winning bars like Supernova Ballroom in Toronto and Dandelion in London. Uh, In addition to being a passionate educator for bartenders across the globe, she has won many, many awards, uh, very notably uh, at Tales of the Cocktail. Uh, there, She won the Best International Bartender Award in 2020. Uh, so with the whole Black Lagoon evolution here, one thing that's fun, so hopefully you're in one of their cities that uh, they're going to be popping up in, cities like New York. I know Toronto, Vancouver, Montreal are on the list, Denver, L.A., Fort Worth, Chicago. Um, I almost feel like I'm going to get 100%, but I'm missing one, I think. Anyways, if you're not in those cities, uh, in addition, they are going to be posting all of their recipes online. They were quick to say, hey, we love Halloween. We love that there are so many Halloween bars. They were also quick to say, hey, a lot of Halloween cocktails can sometimes be rushed and be too sweet. They're like, if you follow our recipes, they're going to be awesome. But more importantly, when I asked them about the important elements of making a Halloween cocktail bar, they did not start with the drinks. They were like lighting, decor, music. These are what are really important. So they, uh, Aaron was not shy about saying, we have a kick-ass uh, Spotify playlist. So you apparently need to download that for your Halloween party and grab their recipes. Uh, you can certainly find Black Lagoon, uh, on the internets, type in Black Lagoon pop-up. You can find them on the other website. They got the Instagrams, etc., cetera, uh, to kind of follow along in the journey. And of course, Kelsey and Aaron, type them in online. You're going to find them right there. Uh, and we'll have links to all of their um, profiles in the show notes too. Um, a couple of the things that I think were worth noting. So whether it's because I'm newer uh, to the space or just haven't been adventurous enough, An area where I can feel a little bit puritanical or conservative is regarding the emerging ready-to-drink movement. I admittedly have not explored it much. I was lucky to have Aaron on there because Aaron uh, has teamed up with a group called Livewire and has uh, uh, her own ready-to-drink recipe called Rocket Girl. But this year at San Francisco's Wine and Spirits Competition, something like that, there there were 700 entries in the category of ready-to-drink. And Aaron actually won Best in Show, which is that's a that's a big feat right there. And so Aaron was quick to talk about what has changed in the category, but was also quick to say for herself, "Hey, I've been fans of Ready to Drink since Boone's Farm," uh, which she was very quick to say. I'm pretty sure is more of a uh, of a Ready to Drink cocktail than wine. And 
also even said, hey, when people were busy hating on White Claw, I was like, hey, drink it if you want to. So I am uh, going to be leaning in more to this RTD space to see what it's all about. Uh, so that is kind of what I have for uh, today's episode. Uh, Aaron and Kelsey were a real riot to speak with. I think you guys are going to love it. You should definitely check out Black Lagoon. Uh, I am, uh, at the time of recording this, I am hopefully going to be able to attend their uh, preview pop-up in New York. So I'm excited. If, if I do, you will certainly see me post about it. And so with that, enjoy uh, my conversation with Kelsey and Aaron. Kelsey and Aaron, thanks so much for taking some time today. I really appreciate it. We're happy to be here. Yeah. So a place that I always like to start that I'm I'm interested in is uh and you know obviously uh maybe Kelsey will start with you but uh you know is there a moment you remember you know falling in love with or deciding you wanted to commit to this industry? Oh wow. Um yeah, I think like it was quite a while ago, you know, I I started in nightclubs like back in, you know, the early 2000s or whatever. Um, and I'd finished going to school and I quit the bar job and went back into the office, um, cause I was doing like fashion marketing at the time. Um, and I hated it. <laughs> so I like, you know, I went back to the club and I was like, Hey, can I have a old job back? And like ended up quitting the fashion industry and, you know, keeping sort of one finger in it for a little bit, but, um. Yeah, that was it for me. I was like, I can't sit in front. I'm not the type of person that can sit in front of a laptop for hours on end. And uh, and so what was it about the the club in particular or hospitality that felt so much more you than than the office? How would you describe that? Um, I mean, the club was awful. Like it was like <laughs> it was one of these, like, yeah, it was just this awful, like super club. But um, I think it was once I started working, you know, I, I went to pubs and then went into cocktail bars. That was kind of where I found where I belonged, just being able to like talk to people and and be moving around the entire night and just, you know, doing you know, five, 10 things over the course of the eight to 12 hours that you're there, you don't really notice the time going by. So I think that that was, that was where I was like, okay, I can do this. Got it. Got it. And, uh, Aaron, how about, how about for you? Yeah, I, you know, my first real job outside of like, you know, being a summer camp counselor and such was, uh, working at my dad's friend's cafe. Um, so very early on, I was fascinated by making milkshakes and coffee creations and things like that. I think I was illegally working at like 14 at that point. Um, you know, and then I went on to graduate high school and I dabbled in hospitality management, but what really sealed the deal. And I think that this is a a make it or break it. Like you either love this or you hate it. I went and did the Disney college program and I was in food and beverage there. So I got to work at the Contemporary Contemporary Resort, which is still there. Um, and I got to work in all of their F&B outlets, everything from, you know, the coffee shop on the first floor all the way up to their fine dining on the roof. And I really, my eyes were definitely opened and I loved it. Although I knew I did not love living in Florida. No offense to my Floridian friends, just wasn't for me. I wasn't born for that kind of humidity. 
um, I, I knew that that was something that I wanted to, to pursue. And I kind of never looked back from there. So for those people who uh, haven't uh, had that Disney level experience, or maybe those people who are just listening, who uh, they're, they're less acquainted, how would you describe like working there? What's that like? And, 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 and how would you describe the appeal? Um, you know, it's, I, I would imagine that it's very similar to most internships and most in industries, right? Like thankless, um, you do a lot of hours for little to no pay. Um, I think that our pay rate at the time was like $6 and 80 cents an hour. And they took $68 out of our paycheck every week. So, um, yeah, it was crazy. Uh, and you know, we lived in these insane apartment buildings and barracks essentially, um, with like five, live with five other girls from all over the country. Um, but yeah, I mean, there was, and it's also Florida. So labor laws are very loose, let's say. So, you know, there was no batting an eye at a 12 hour shift and there was no mandatory breaks or anything like that. Living in California. Now I look back and I'm like, Oh my God, how do, how do people survive like careers in this industry in States like that? Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it was pretty intense work, but I will say like, I already had what I thought was a good work ethic. I came out of it with one that was like military level. Um, and it still made me fall in love with the business, you know, and I think that that's a testament to the people really. Wow. Okay. Yeah. No, it, it certainly is the thing where uh, you come out of the shift exhausted and drained. And yet for some reason you're like, yeah, you know what, let's, uh, let's get up and see what this is all about again, right there. Got yeah. it. Wow. Uh, so one of the things that I feel like I, you know, Kelsey, I'm sure you get asked about all the time, but, uh, you know, being the fact that I tend to work with so many, um, people who are just, uh, crafting cocktails at home, you know, uh, first I imagine we should talk a little bit about, you know, trash tiki and, and sustainable you know, the movement, but I, I would be interested at some point get to like, how should the average person think about it at home? So, so why did you feel called to this? And, and tell us a little bit about what Trash Tiki is, and obviously it has evolved. Um, yeah, I mean, we, we started it sort of as um, we saw this movement happening in food and in kitchens, you know, the nose to tail or root to fruit sort of cooking style. Um, and then noticed that, you know, this was back in 2016, but the bar industry wasn't really doing it um, or paying attention that much. Um, so we decided to create these recipes and put them online so that it was free and, you know, people had access to it. It wasn't like in book form. Um, so you had to, you know, you didn't have to carry anything around with you except for your phone. Um, and then we made them accessible. So you don't need like fancy equipment. You can do most of the recipes that I have on the trashcollective.com's website, um, at home with very, very basic equipment. Um, and then, I mean, as we kind of toured around with it and it evolved a lot more, um, we became a lot more focused on sourcing. And the reason for that is, you know, with monocultural farming and sort of the broken food system that we have, especially in the United States and Canada, sourcing and supporting local farms and kind of that side of it became a lot more important. So when I'm talking to like home consumers, it's easy to be like, hey, just jump on the website. You know, it's super easy. Um, we try to keep the language in a way that's like fun and 
interesting rather than just like spitting out a recipe. Um, and then, yeah, I, I just try to get people to like support local farmers, like get things from a farmer's market if you're financially able to, um, cause it's just, it, it, it supports the local economy as well, especially, you know, right now it's, it's with, with a recession possibly in the, you know, lurking in the background, it's, it's more important than ever to, to be supporting local people where you can. Mm-hmm. Uh, so first, yeah, I will certainly make sure that there'll be a link to Trash Tiki in the notes, but even just for a couple of examples for someone that hasn't, um, heard of citrus stock or whatever talk just give us a couple of examples and we'll be sure to link out to the recipes because you're right the language is very friendly so yeah okay yeah so um i think the biggest thing like you mentioned the citrus stock um the biggest thing we use in in bars you know when you're making margaritas daiquiris you kind of gravitate towards the the drinks that you know the best um and all of those contain citrus so what we do with the citrus stock is essentially after you juice, you sort of blanch um, the husks left over in water for like five minutes, add a couple little acids that you can find on Amazon and just order them straight to your house um, or find them at a local U-Brew if you don't want to support Amazon. <laughs> um, but yeah, they all have them. Um, and just add a little bit of those if you have like a coffee scale or like a micro scale at home, that's ideal. And basically the juice, first of all, becomes a little bit more shelf stable. So you have it for three days instead of just one single day. Um, and then you stretch it out for longer so you can make way more drinks, which kind of saves your elbows, especially if you're, you know, making them for a few friends at home. Um, you're not sitting there, you know, juicing for half the night, you can kind of batch this up and then, and then you're free to like host or socialize instead of like constantly be making drinks all night. So that's kind of just one of them. And then the other one I talk about is, um, doing syrups out of the pulp left over from, um, you know, if you're juicing anything at home, pineapple, if you have like a, a home juicer, uh, you can just save those pulps and just give them a quick blend with sugar and a little bit of water. And it's just, it stretches them out. You have a shelf stable syrup. Well, for at least, you know, three weeks and you can use it for cocktails for, you know, whenever. Uh-huh. I, uh, I, I think it was the mover and shaker people who at one point they had a little, uh, meme that was like, uh, can I get that, you know, rum that comes from Guyana, that lime that comes from wherever that sugar. And then, but can you give me a paper straw? You know, just like, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's, it's good to think about the steps of where the things are coming from. Uh, and certainly it's great to be able to honor the heritage of people in Barbados, Guiana that have made stuff, but there's times now where you can get great rums that might even be made in your own local community since rum is so, uh, un- uh flexible as a, as yeah. a category. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Aaron, one thing that I was uh, intrigued by is, um, so obviously I think just in the past couple of years, you know, owing in part to, uh, uh, you know, staying at home for so long, uh, the, you know, not only his mixing drinks at home, but even the ready to drink category has exploded. And I have to admit that sometimes like a lot of the product, and I'm here, uh, St. Louis, just south of your home in Chicago, uh, but being a smaller market, we sometimes don't have immediate access to some of the stuff. But so one, I keep hearing people talk about the quality of this stuff, 
but uh, I saw that uh, you recently got uh, uh, recognized for something. So tell us a little bit about RTDs, but also, of course, tell us about your your little product you've got. Sure. I mean, if I'm being honest, RTDs uh, have always kind of been a mainstay in my life, whether it's been ironic or not. Uh, I think I probably started by drinking Boone's Farm, which I would classify more as an RTD than a wine, um, you know, when I'm 14 or 15. Sorry, mom. Um, but yeah, I, you know, the category has always fascinated me. I, I jokingly became the uh, unofficial White Claw ambassador when they first came out because everybody was hating on White Claw so bad. And I was like, who cares what other people are drinking? It's fine. It's great. Um, but the opportunity came to work with one of my best friends, who's an incredibly talented bartender and business per- person, Aaron Polsky. Um, and his idea for Livewire Drinks was to kind of operate the business almost like a record label where the bartenders not only get paid you know, a one-time fee for their IP, um, but they continue to collect royalties as the, the you know, fan base, so to speak, grows for their drinks. Um, all of the Livewire drinks were entered into San Francisco World Spirits Competition, which is arguably the, the most prominent of the spirits competitions, at least in the States, but definitely internationally recognized. And everybody meddled, which is amazing um, and not something that everybody can say. And surprisingly, I, I guess to me still, uh, it was best in class for RTD or for rum RTD. Um, and then one best in show across all RTDs with over 700 entries. So very humbling, very flattering. Um, you know, I, I wanted to have fun with it. That's kind of how I approach cocktails in general. I don't ever want to make anything that's too precious. Um, I love there's flavor combinations that if you know me, you know, that I'm like, it's like rain man stuck in my head, like Campari and pineapple. Like, you know, it's <laughs> absinthe and strawberry. Like I, there's things that go together and grapefruit and cinnamon is one of those. So I knew I wanted that to be kind of the central um, building block for Rocket Queen. Um, and then we just played around with flavors that really complemented those. And I think we came up with something pretty tasty. And one lucky great thing about us is that you can order directly from the website. Um, so it doesn't necessarily have to be you know, picked up locally in your uh, local retail or on-premise spots, you can order it and we'll deliver right to your door. Yeah. Uh, you know, this, uh, our conversation, I'm glad it's happened, but it, it came together fast enough that I was like, man, I was like, I was like, I'm not going to have a chance to actually get it here before uh, we pull this off, but uh, I'm definitely gonna have to give it, give it a whirl right there. Yeah. We are actually, because of the awards, I, I mean, good thing, blessing curse, right? We're sold out of Rocket Queen. So we're about to make more batch um, and can that, you know, supply chain has been definitely a challenge. Um, Aaron got this started literally the month before the pandemic. So he got in a bit ahead of the game, but now, you know, it's definitely still a a challenge to get, you know, cans and get the cannery and and all of that stuff, but we'll have more supply soon. But my brother lives in St. Louis and I believe he has a stockpile. So I'll see if I can connect you. I'm always looking for that inside connect right there. Uh, yeah, yeah. So as the longtime uh, unof- uh, official sponsor of RTDs, hat tip to Boone's Farm, uh, 
Are there things that you have seen, clearly as the reigning RTD expert, are there things that you have seen improve in, in the category in terms of quality, in terms of technology or approach? Has it always been the same? Do you have any thoughts on how the category has evolved at this point? Yeah, absolutely. I think that the embracing of, you know, utilizing acids and, um, you know, things like a fake lime or, you know, fake lemon, rather than trying to fit a square peg into a round hole, right? Like citrus doesn't taste good if it's pasteurized repeatedly, if it sits on a shelf. Um, so let's stop using it. You know what I mean? Like we, there are plenty of other shelf stable, sustainable options that we have, um, that we don't have to keep trying to do something that just doesn't taste good. And, you know, I think that for most consumers that maybe don't get to go out to fancy cocktail bars and don't get to experience what it's like to have drinks with fresh juice that are used to those kind of flavors, it doesn't necessarily bother them as much, but once they taste, you know, these RTDs that are made to taste fresh and not to taste that like bleachy pasteurized, you know, aftertaste, I think that it's going to turn over a whole new world um, of consumers for these RTDs that are, are really making strides in the right direction. Um, you know, I think that the live wire uh, packaging is really interesting. I think that it's super eye-catching. Um, I think that the tagline, like cocktails from the world's best bartenders, which like is not, I, I don't subscribe myself to being that, but you know, they've got, that's a marketing thing for them, but that's cool, right? Like people want that in their home. And if they can't get to New York to get a drink from Shannon Mustafer or San Diego to get a drink from Chris Patino, you know, like to be able to have that capability in their own refrigerator or freezer is pretty, pretty cool. Um, and I think that the cocktail enthusiast um, population has grown exponentially, especially over the pandemic, because people couldn't go out. So they were seeking out those drink makers and influencers and things like that on um, YouTube and Instagram and TikTok and all. Yeah. And uh, for those listening that might not be as familiar with the term like fake lime juice, one, the first time I ever heard of it was from a Punch article referencing, uh, I think it was Dandelion uh, in London. But uh, so this is where people are using uh, malic or citric acids, uh, like Kelsey had mentioned earlier, to like boost a stock. But this is a way where bars are essentially synthesizing lemon or lime juice uh, and making it more sustainable. And to Aaron's point, also really kind of able to put that in there in place of citrus, which does not keep well over time. So, yeah. And you can really control, you know, every lemon is going to be slightly different. Every lime is going to be slightly different. So, um, especially in terms of making huge batches of RT RTDs where you're making, you know, giant vats essentially of a batch, um, to have that consistency is really, really crucial. Mm-hmm. You know, to your guys' point, obviously, we have all watched cocktails just explode in popularity. But at times, you know, there are still these references of, oh, I don't like drinks that are too, you know, you're in a proper cocktail bar and someone goes, oh, I don't want anything that's too sweet or whatever. And it's like, well, we don't really serve things that are overly sweet here. And uh, a genre that I think could get picked on uh, could be tiki, perhaps. So, Aaron, I was curious, you know, from your time at Lost Lake and Three Dots in a Dash, how would you describe to the average person to think about tiki 
as a category? It's obviously very playful, but how, how would you describe that overall to people? Yeah, something that I always used to remind my, my teams, you know, is that the very high percentage of guests that are coming in here have probably never been in a tropical bar, let alone a good tropical bar. So in Chicago, you know, in the near West suburbs, specifically where I grew up, we had a couple that were so fun and the decor was amazing, but you were drinking, you know, orange juice, 151 and like caro corn syrup. Right. Um, and so the, the stigma is there for a bit of a reason. It's not, you know, because these guys are going to places like the Violet Hour or the Aviary and then coming to Lost Lake and being like, I don't want two sweet drinks. Those people understand. So we, you know, there, there has to be an understanding of who the guest is. Um, also, you have to think about like when people are coming in in big groups and four of, of the five people are really into it and they know what they're getting and they, they understand. And then there's that one person that's like, oh my God, panic order. I want a vodka soda because I don't know. I don't understand. So I think just handling people with a genuine sense of care and, you know, offering non-pretentious service, um, which, you know, I, even as a bartender that, you know, has made my way around, I, I spent the last six years going to bars and restaurants all over the world. I've been very fortunate. Um, you know, you ask a question and you still get bartenders that treat you like shit. And that was never anything we wanted because the genre of tropical drinks is already so kind of, um, not unapproachable, but you know what I mean? It's just, it's, uh, there's too many questions, a lot of questions. So, you know, letting people know, like all of our drinks, we really strive to make them balanced. Um, there's an equal amount of sour to sweet, to boozy, to bitter, you know, and, and people kind of understand those terms. Um, and then also just letting people know, like, Hey, give it a try. And if you don't like it, I'm going to make you the best vodka soda you've ever had in this crazy skull glass. And you're going to have a great time with your friends, you know? And I would say nine times out of 10, people were like, Oh my God, this is really good. I'm like, yeah, now you get it. Now you can order that next time <laughs> and feel good about it. <laughs> Never have I ever had a vodka soda in a skull glass. So I mean, uh... <laughs> For, you know, what one of my only, uh, you know, Antiki is frankly what it is, but, you know, for the person at home, sometimes it's like, okay, you need these four rums, these three juices, these two bitters. Uh, are there any uh, sites, books, even just drinks that you would suggest if somebody wanted to try to bring Tiki into their home, but doesn't want to spend $400 doing it? you know, obviously once they've got it, they can make plenty of them, but any, are there any simple tiki drinks you would suggest for somebody starting off? I love this person and I follow them. They don't always post content about cocktails, but they always post, um, educational material about, you know, appreciating where tiki came from. And I think that at this point we need to recognize that and acknowledge that just as much as we need to recognize and acknowledge the, has, how much cock tiki or tropical cocktails have caught on as a trend. Um, and that's Chalky Tom. So Chalk Tales. Um, she's incredible. She's also our sister in Doom. She runs Doom Tiki or Doomiverse now. Uh, so we are very aligned in like our aesthetic for sure. But she's an incredible, incredible resource on 
um, not just, you know, the, the Polynesian, the way that we've kind of appropriated the Polynesian culture, flavors, um, idolatry, things like that, but also indigenous um, culture for Tiki. So I definitely recommend following her. In terms of recipes, I, I, I really, I love Jeff Berry and Jeff Berry is one of the kindest, one, most wonderful, humble people. So I, you know, that's where I started learning about tropical drinks. Um, so I definitely think that looking back at the way that he's uncovered um, tropical bars and bartenders in America from a historical perspective is very, very cool. But then, and you know, we had to remember to put that in context with what, what really happened and where, where Tiki really came from. Um, I'm looking at my giant stack of books right now. Uh, da, da, da. Shannon Mustafer came out with an amazing book. Um, probably slightly a little bit more involved in terms of, you know, builds and, and things like that, but very, very cool. Um, and she's just an incredible drink maker. So I would trust anything that comes out of that book. Cool. Thank you. Yeah. I, uh, I got to meet Chalky for the first time at, at tails just a couple of weeks ago. And so that was, uh, that, that, that was fun. So, uh, yeah, she's, she's amazing. And as sensitive and, you know, educated as I think that I am, I learn something from her every single time I talk to her or listen to her speak. She's, she's an incredible resource for our community. So alluding to Chalky and, you know, kind of the, you know, sister alliance right here, uh, you know, obviously up till now I've kind of, uh, pointed questions, but, uh, we're, you know, let's talk about Black Lagoon. Uh, so, uh, it was, it was fun to kind of, uh, I've had the chance to work at a Halloween pop-up before. It's a great time. Uh, but, uh, so, uh, whoever wants to, or however you guys both want to run with it, but like, tell us a little bit about your love for Halloween and what made you want to start a pop-up in the first place. Yeah. I mean, like, I think it was during the pandemic, Aaron and I, well, we had, we had done this pop-up at the dungeon during tales in new Orleans, you know, in 2019, I think. Um, and it, like, we work really well together and we just, we had a lot of fun. I think Aaron did most of the work anyway, <laughs> um, uh, but then during the pandemic, you know, we were like, you know, that, that was really fun. And like, maybe there's something to, you know, creating some glassware and maybe we need to, you know, we, we both like kind of similar style drinks and, and we both like have, you know, different backgrounds within the macabre, you know, I was an emo kid and um, really love, you know, metal and, and goth and that whole thing. So we were like, let's do a pop-up. And also like, I don't know, every year since I can remember that I've had time or had Halloween off, I start planning, you know, costumes in like you know august yeah so <laughs> yeah you know there there was a part of it for me too we were talking about it you know upon the success of that pop-up in at the dungeon that was epic i i'm gonna say one of the best parties i've ever thrown still to date um and doing that with with kelsey was just the best um but you know thinking about some of the other holiday pop-ups right like Miracle turned Christmas into a drinking month, you know, Christmas usually was office parties every here and there. And, you know, you might go out drinking the night before Christmas Eve with your family when you get back into your hometown, but they have turned it into a month long holiday. 
Halloween already is a month long drinking holiday. Like every weekend in October, um, people dress up and go out and drink and there's house parties and bars dress up as other bars and bars dress up as fast food restaurants and, you know, so it's already got this incredible following, you know, it's a holiday for kids. Sure. But adults love it. So, you know, why not kind of feed into that plus our love of, you know, the music that kind of goes with this idea, um, the spooky type drinks that lean a little bit tropical because Black Lagoon, right? Um, and then just the name we came up with was like so perfect um, for both of for both of us and, and what we were trying to accomplish. So, uh, you know, you guys are obviously no stranger at all to building out all sorts of concepts, but when you're approaching something like this, if uh, there's a a bartender out there who's getting ready to make the leap, they've been, you know, assisting their whole time. How would you think about building out Black Lagoon? How would you approach that kind of at a a high level uh, to maybe kind of stage for them how they would do that? What would you avoid? What would you do? How's that done? I, I think first, and, and what we did last year, which was really smart, was you got to try it out in your hometown. Um, you know, we it was such a back and forth. We wanted to do it in 2020. Obviously, that wasn't going to happen. Um, and 2021 was kind of like iffy, right? Like back and forth on occupancy levels. And, and we figured we just got to pull peel the Band-Aid off and, and go for it. So Kelsey really put together an incredible team of folks in Toronto, um, found a venue that was that was a blessing and a curse, <laughs> but, <laughs> but it worked. It worked for us. Our, our neighbors didn't love us so much, but we, we got them plenty of drinks. So <laughs> I think they're over by now. Um, but you know, doing it in your hometown, get the, the people that know you know what you're capable of, enjoy your drinks already, um, to understand what this new project is. And then, you know, as crazy as it sounds for me to say is like, build it up on social. You know what I mean? Um, create a presence for yourself um, and then take it on the road, you know, and Kelsey and I are very fortunate enough to have been in this business for as long as we have and have the relationships that we have um, that we're able to take this to some incredible bars, award-winning bars that are run by people that we respect and admire and are also our friends. So, you know, I think utilizing your network Um, and, and again, just really start small and then slowly expand, slowly expanding from one outlet to nine is (laughs) we did not follow our own advice, but I think once you see the growth over the next few years, it'll make sense. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I think that to like, to expand on that as well is that, you know, don't think that you can go out and do it by yourself. Um, we were really, really lucky. I mean, Aaron and I have worked together before, but, and worked together very well, like I said, but I think, you know, having that team in place was so necessary because this thing became a bit of a heaving behemoth by the end of it. And if I didn't have, you know, quality people and, and, you know, using your friends and pulling in favors, like, don't be afraid to ask and get that support under you before, before you, before you attempt anything like this, because you need it. So a Halloween pop-up just, yeah, obviously in the back of your mind is like, duh, I have to go to that. But in terms of like, uh, 
in addition to decor, are there any, uh, you know, you talked about glassware a little bit, but are there like, uh, what are some of the uh, secret weapons or elements you guys have incorporated to kind of really take a bar that otherwise has another purpose and make it feel so tailored to that season right there? I think the the biggest thing for us that was sort of easy to change because it'll change the entire mood of the room was lighting. Like you can, you know, spit out a hundred different decorations, but just have an idea, you know, we planned it out on the floor plan, like how everything was going to look. And as soon as you change the lights from like dim bar lights to purple and red, like the whole mood of the thing changes. Yeah. And, you know, Halloween decorations can range everywhere from, you know, animal skeletons to severed limbs. I'm just looking at what I have on my table right now, uh, if I'm being honest, um, you know, and just like knowing how and where to place things like last year, you know, our bar area was kind of like this, which is apothecary that had, you know, it was like a lot of foliage and then potion bottles and bubbling cauldrons. And then another section was a graveyard. So we wanted to create like an experience where you walk through and there's so many visual elements that like transport you to another place. Um, and then I think for me, and I know for Kelsey as well, the music was so important. I'm like a psychopath about our playlist. I think I've added our early playlist is now eight hours long. Um, but I, it's like that, that is so important, right? The vibe, the music is, is such a key element in that. And then of course, you know, the drinks and Kelsey and I are, collaborate so well together. Um, we were very concerned because we really only had one full day together in the same place to collaborate and we just like knocked it out. So, um, you know, I think it's gotta be, everything has to be cohesive and, you know, the, everything from the lighting to the decorations, to the, the drinks, to the ambiance, the music. Um, and then you've got yourself something very special. I would just like to point out, while I just met Erin, uh, we are, uh, they're in the middle of a series of early pop-ups right now. So she, I'm guessing she doesn't always usually have an animal skeleton and severed limb on her table, but uh, it's probably more, uh, no, I'm just, it was yeah. for a joke. Yeah. There's, there's, I mean, I, I've got the death head moth back here always. I've got a bat and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, this is me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay. So I've, I've been proven wrong. It is always there. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. In, in terms of some of the drinks themselves, the, the stars of the show, what are you guys proud of? Are there things you've brought back from last year versus new drinks? Tell us a little bit about what people can expect to be defined in their weird glasses that they've got. Yeah, we brought back only two. Um, I, I was so proud of our, our cocktail menu last year. I think that everybody was very impressed. Um, a, there's a ton of Halloween pop-ups, like you said, and some of them that do cocktails and sorry to those other ones, but I have not been to one where the cocktails are good. Um, they're usually like, yeah, they're usually like pretty basic, overly sweet, not using quality ingredients. It's much more about the experience, much less about what's in the glass in front of you. And we very much wanted to not be that. Um, so the two that you will see making appearances again this year are the hexes for your exes, um, which was one of our best sellers last year. Um, it's slime green in color. 
and it combines some very unexpected ingredients that end up tasting like a tropical explosion. It's so good. So good. Um, and then the other that is coming back is the Lilith's Cup, which is a play on a Kingston Negroni. Um, but we wanted to make it even more tropical than with the, uh, just the rum. And so there's a touch of tart passion fruit in there. Um, yeah, it's, it was very tasty and a healthy dose of orange glitter as well. <laughs> um, and then lots of new ones, lots of new ones. Thank you to, uh, Joaquin Simo for the Kingston Negroni. Cause it is amazing. So, uh, oh, yes. and with, with all extra tropical, that sounds, that sounds awesome right there. Yeah. I will also, yeah. When I put out questions, uh, for this, uh, I got a response from a bartender, uh, talking about the, uh, their top selling drink at their Halloween pop-up. And he said, do they have any suggestions on how I don't have to make 1 million of these during, you know, the, the month? So <laughs> it is, yeah, yeah it, it, it's, it's a, it's a mule riff at the end of the day. And so like for anybody that's like, it's like the immediate steer, plus it's called the ghost Malone. So it's like, so it just, it just sells based on name alone too. Yeah. So. I think that honestly, like good creative names, which thank God I have Kelsey because she's the best at naming cocktails that I've ever worked with. And I'm terrible at that. Um, but also like, you've got to have a creative presentation for all of your drinks, right? Like if one of your drinks comes out, like, which we learned last year in a skull with a light up ice cube and mint coming out of the top, everybody wants that drink. So you've got to have a couple that are like visually stunning, um, because you're going to get the people that are more there for the Instagram effect that are like, Ooh, what's that? I want it. Um, yeah. rather than actually looking at the menu, but then you're going to have people that are super excited by some of the names and some, and then the ingredients. So like, you've got to, you've got to really make sure that you're appealing to people on multiple levels. You know, one of the things that seems like COVID has done at times is certainly, uh, setting more time limits on things. So can people show up at uh, Black Lagoon and just settle in for the evening? Or is this uh, uh, seated and then you're out of here affair? How does this work for you guys? I mean, so last year we, we were under some COVID restrictions. So it was like seated service only and that kind of thing, which is very much sort of not our vibe. Um, there, you know, towards the end of it, there was a little bit of a wait list. So we had to like, you know, well, a, a lot bit of a wait list. <laughs> it's a gross under understatement. But um, yeah, I think people could expect, you know, if you're waiting for a table, you're waiting for a table, there will definitely be standing room at the Toronto one if you want to come in and like have a little party and like, you know, dance to Ramstein. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, we will be sort of turning tables and things like that. So there is a little bit of wait list, but there's no like, reservations, RSVPs, like that kind of stuff. We just want to kind of take down some of those barriers and just say like, just dress as how you, how you feel. If you want to dress up, great. If you don't, that's fine too. And just like, come on down and like, enjoy yourself. We'll get you in as soon as we can. Yeah. And I think that some of our venue partners, you know, depending on the size of the venue are going to have to do things slightly differently. So I would definitely, I would recommend following their Instagram pages and things like that leading up to the pop-ups. Um, I don't want to speak on behalf of everybody, but certainly, you know, where, where we were operating, it was 
we didn't want necessarily people camping out for four hours if they're not having drinks, uh, especially if there's people waiting outside in the cold and the rain, which they were last year in Toronto. Um, but we also don't want to rush you guys through the experience. So um, there's a happy medium for sure. Cool. And uh, so the in terms of people who might be like, wait, what cities is this in? I'm sure they could they, they could find it on the Instagram handle or other or you guys have a website too. So 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 where do they find those at right there? So um, the all of the dates are now posted on our dates and cities are posted on our Instagram, and then if you go to blacklagoonpopup.com and just hit tour, you'll see all of the dates on there, and then we'll be posting. Um, all of the dates for October as well. I think most most of the venues are doing the full month, but there's a couple of them that are choosing to start, you know, a week into October. So we'll be putting all of that information up there as well. For the uh, lay person out there, this could be, I don't know if this is too big of a general of a question or not, but so for someone out there who might be hosting people this Halloween at their house, um, any general tips for, you know, making something look and feel Halloween appropriate to your point, like might even be like, Hey, worry about the lighting in your house first, uh, and the music, but any general tips for pulling off a great Halloween party with, uh, with cocktails? Yeah. So first of all, use one of our playlists. They will be available on Spotify and I'm, they're very good. I'm proud of them. Um, and then, you know, I think, it's kind of to what Kelsey was saying earlier, like use what's local to you, what's, what's good right now in season. Um, and then really lean on those familiar fall flavors, right? So, um, your baking spice notes, everybody loves a little cinnamon, a little nutmeg grated over the top. Um, if you have access to a flavor Bible, um, and you look up some of the ingredients that you have on hand or that are in season, you can find some really great pairing recommendations and make cocktails based off of that. Um, also we will be posting the cocktails that we'll be serving at black lagoon on our Instagram starting up very soon. So you can certainly, um, we would love for you to serve some of our cocktails, uh, at your home pop-ups and, um, we're going to also be selling some of our glassware. So you could definitely have a whole black lagoon experience at home. Terrific. Terrific. Is there, is there anything we haven't covered regarding the lagoon you guys would like to talk about what what what's, what's top of mind right now um i think like encouraging people to get dressed up and like lean into it a little bit um it always like i feel like when you dress up in a costume like you're committing you know it means you kind of you, you can't you could go over other places but you you, you know you <laughs> might feel a little bit more out of place but um, it's always such a cool vibe when you have people that show up and they're like dressed up and they got excited for it and it just contributes to the whole vibe of the room. So like our staff gets dressed up. I know that the guys at, um, 132 Bar Vintage in Montreal are going to do like nightly themed costumes. So they'll do like, you know, the Burton, I mean, pick a movie, um, <laughs> uh, theme night. So like, yeah, that that's a real big part of what we do. And, and we're really proud of that part. And um, yeah. Yeah. And I think the other thing, you know, people get scared when they hear like metal goth, but it's not, we're not like 
forcing you to headbang. Like, you know, this is, it's, it's very much a vibey, like almost ambient playlist where like, you're going to hear songs that were radio friendly. You're going to hear songs that you're like, oh, I didn't even realize I liked metal and I like this song. You know what I mean? It's not going to be anything that's like so aggressive that's going to make you want to turn around and walk out. And I think a lot of people in Toronto were very surprised by that last year. Um, so yeah, don't, don't be put off by the idea of, you know, a goth metal horror pop-up. Just come in and give us a try. You'll be impressed. You'll love it. And if you want to come in dressed up like Rammstein, that's okay too. So, uh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I think that was, I think that was Kelsey and I's favorite night. It was towards the end and I, it was a Saturday before Halloween and we had these three adorable witches sitting at the bar and there was like everybody in costume and the uh, COVID restrictions had just been lifted. And we started playing some of those like heavier radio friendly hits that people knew. And we had a full dance floor of people dancing to like, uh, I, I don't even know. It was Avenged Sevenfold and Rammstein and <laughs> Deftones and like people were loving it. And I, I swear to God, I got tears in my eyes. I was like, this, we just did this. We created it. It's, it's happening. Yeah. <laughs> it was such a great night. Yeah. That's, that's really cool. Uh, congrats on that. And shoot, congrats on taking the leap this year. My God. All right, here goes something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and for each of you guys, uh, perhaps Kelsey and then Aaron, where, where, if people want to also keep up with just your general uh, work online, where should they find you guys? Um, yeah, I post a lot of my stuff, both on my personal and on Trash Collective. So all of the more sustainability focused stuff, I do some drink stuff on, it's just at tr Trash Collective uh, underscore. And then my personal one is kind of like a bridge between both Black Lagoon and Trash Collective. So mine's just at Kelsey Ramage. And I am at the Minxologist, that's Mixologist with an N. Um, yeah, that's my only one. And then the Black Lagoon pop-up. Terrific. Thank you guys both for turning out today. This is, this will be a fun one to share with people for sure. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Thank you, you so much. You bet. Hey everybody. Thanks for listening. The show notes for today's episode are available at decodingcocktails.com slash podcast. If you'd like to keep up with what we're working on, there are two great ways to do so. One, our short weekly newsletter, Cocktail Confidential, which you can sign up for at decodingcocktails.com slash newsletter. Or give us a follow on Instagram at decodingcocktails. If you think this podcast is great stuff, we'd love it if you'd subscribe or, of course, share an episode with a friend. The Decoding Cocktails podcast is produced by Chris Bay and myself. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again soon and happy cocktailing.